Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. Good to see you all. If you're joining with us online, we're glad that you're here too. Some decisions are easy. Some decisions are difficult. One of the easy decisions for a lot of women in the Persian Empire back in the day was uh, the king of Persia kind of dropped the queen. Uh, I'll tell you why in a minute. But he decided to embark on this big empire-wide version, Persian version of The Bachelor. Yeah. And so all the ladies uh, who were eligible um, to be a wife, because they were not wives already, uh, that decision for many of them was easy. See, the king, he, uh, he kind of mastered this thing called humility. Uh, he, he had basically, for six months, partied because he wanted everyone to know how awesome he was. He threw a, a six-month-long party so that everyone could see how w- amazing he was. And then, after the six months, because six months of celebration and partying is not enough, straight, uh, he decided to do a week-long banquet at the end to kind of congratulate himself on how awesome the party was because of how awesome he is. So he does this banquet, and at the banquet, he is uh, had had some wine, and he was feeling a little bit uh, as you would feel after having lots of that. And he asked the queen, Queen Vashti, to come in and show everyone, show off her beauty to everyone. And the queen had had enough by this time, and she decided to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have myself be flaunted in front of all these people because you just want to feel better about yourself. And so uh, the king was not very happy about this, and uh, they, they made a law that she was no longer allowed to be in his presence, and they were going to give the, the, the ability or the spot of the queenship, whatever that is, to someone else. And so they embarked on this long journey of trying to find the new queen. Now, this was not a few months long uh, season of a bachelor. You know, I've never watched that, but maybe some of you have. Uh, and, you know, whatever. But I don't judge you, only a little bit. But um, they, they decided to go and send out representatives throughout the whole empire of Persia. And they were in search for young, beautiful women uh, who wanted to participate. Now, we don't know if they necessarily had much of a choice But what we do know is that included in this pool of women was uh, a woman by the name of Esther. She was a Jewish woman, uh, and she was living in the Persian Empire because her ancestors, fellow Jews, had been taken over uh, by the Babylonians. And then eventually the Babylonian Empire was taken over by the Persian Empire. And now here we are. The Jews are now not their own nation. They're not their own people. Uh, but they are now in the Persian Empire, this wicked pagan empire. And Esther is in the running. Now, here's the thing. This was like, they, they did this thing very seriously. Um, the, the women who were in the, in the competition, so to speak, they, they took part in a whole year-long process of like beauty magnification. 
Six, the first six months, they, they kind of got all the best essential oils. I don't know what brand they used, but they got all the essential oils and rubbed them, you know, whatever, like made them their skin real nice and all that. And then the next six months was they, they treated them to perfume and cosmetics and all this other stuff. I don't know, ladies, what y'all would do for a whole year if you just had all access to all these things. I don't know, but they did because they were very serious about this process of, you know, bringing the best of the best to the king. And so eventually, uh, they got done with all the beauty stuff and the queen, the, the potential queens, uh, came before the king and he got to choose. Well, he chose a woman by the name of Esther. Now Esther was an orphan growing up and she was raised by her older cousin, Mordecai. And as time went on, so she became queen. That's a pretty big deal, right? Uh, this, this little Jewish girl becoming queen of the whole Persian empire. And Mordecai was uh, her legal guardian. Now, uh, as time went on, there was a man named Haman, and he became the, the king's right-hand man. And uh, he, as he got this position, he was told, like the king told the whole empire, hey, whenever you see Haman, you need to bow down to him, because he's got it going on. He's my right-hand man. And so everywhere Haman went, people would bow down to him. So you can imagine, right? This guy, you know, you don't know him. He's not the king, but he's like, he's, he's the right-hand guy for the king. Everywhere you were, if Haman showed up, you were supposed to bow down. Just interrupt what you're doing. You know, no more TikTok video. You got to put that down and do the, do the bowing down. Um, and so they were doing that. And But there was one guy, one guy who refused to bow down. And his name was Mordecai. And Mordecai did this for weeks and everyone could see that he was like, it's not hard to stick out in the crowd if you're not, if you're the only one standing, right? And so word gets around that this is happening and, uh, word eventually gets to Haman and Haman was beyond hangry. He was just angry. He was very upset. And so he decided to go to the king with this information and say, Hey, and he, he definitely embellished. He said, Hey, king, there's, there's this group of people. Um, and they are like their own people. They got their own thing going on, their own convictions, their own laws, their own religion. They got their own thing going on, and, and they are not really following what you're saying, uh, these Jewish people. Uh, we need to do something about them, and here's my recommendation. So Haman, because of uh, his narcissism and the faithfulness of one man who decided not to bow down to him, he decided to propose this plan to the king. He said, hey, uh, I've been casting lots. I, I think this is what we should do. In the next, in 11 months from now, uh, I want you to write into law that everywhere in your empire, all the officials are to annihilate, destroy, and kill all the Jews in your empire because these people need to go. They will not bow down to you. And the king was like, oh, okay, yeah. They need to bow, so... Let's do that. So they wrote in this law and sent it out to all the provinces. So word gets around to the Jews that they're 11 months from now are going to be suffering from genocide just because of one man's narcissism. And so word gets around to all the provinces. And as a Jew, like if you were a a Jew at the time and you heard that you were going to be killed by all the Persian emperor uh, rulers and authorities, if you knew that it was going to be the law 
of the land, that it was the law of the land, that the police, that the military, that everyone who had some kind of weapon were supposed to, on one day, 11 months from now, kill you, how would you feel? You'd be fearful, right? Just because of the way you are, just because of your ethnicity, because of your religion, because of your convictions, you were going to die. So as you can imagine, a lot of the Jewish people, they were really, really afraid. They didn't know what to do. This was not a democracy. They couldn't just vote for a different king. This was a monarchy. They had no voice. And so word gets to Mordecai, and Mordecai uh, lets Esther know about it. And they have a little bit of a back and forth. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to turn to Esther chapter 4. And we're going to see this kind of defining moment for the Jews in this time and the conversation that Mordecai, the legal guardian of Esther, have. So verse 13 of Esther chapter 4, Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther because here's, Esther was like, hey, by the way, you're trying to, because Mordecai was trying to get her to go and talk to the king because she's the queen. So hopefully she has a little bit of sway on the king, right? Like maybe she could convince him to not do this. Well, the queen, Esther, was like, hey, he hasn't requested my presence for 30 days, okay? It's not like we're uh, in a good place, it would seem. I don't know if he even likes me anymore. It's been a month, and I've not even seen him. And so she's concerned. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance, will come to the Jewish people from another place. It will. But you and your family, your father's family, will be destroyed. Who knows? Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Who knows? Maybe you've come to this place for such a time as this. See, Esther had not told anyone that she was Jewish. This was by Mordecai's uh, leading He did not want her to tell them her ethnicity at all because he was worried about what might turn out. And so no one knows, Esther, no one knows that she's a Jew, that she is included. The queen of the empire is included in the law from the king to kill all the Jews. No one knows that. And so she is presented with an opportunity, with a choice, with a decision. A decision that was a little bit more difficult than putting her hat in the ring of the bachelor of the Persian Empire. But now she has to decide if she's going to do something about what's going on. Because for, for the vast majority, for everyone else, all the Jews in the, in the rest of the empire, this was something that they were worried about and concerned about, and rightly so. But they had no power, no responsibility, no, no influence to change anything. So for them, it was just something that, like, I hope someone does something. Or I've got to figure out where I'm going to go and figure this out in the next 11 months. I don't know what to do. But you see, Esther didn't have that uh, convenient place in her life. Because of her proximity to the king, she was presented with a responsibility to possibly make an impact. You see, because of God putting her in that place, she had a responsibility to possibly make an impact. The place you're in, where God puts you, 
the proximity to where you are gives you responsibility to make an impact there. And Esther had to decide, like, you know, as a queen, she had a lot to lose. Because no one knew she was Jewish at this time. No one knew her secret. Now, the truth usually always comes out. But no one knew for sure. So she could have just been like, you know what? I'm just not going to do anything. I don't want to put myself on the chopping block, possibly, for trying to speak up. I don't want to do this. I don't want to risk it. She could have chosen to just keep it all quiet and try to just go on about her days. And I'm sorry for all the Jews, but it's not worth it to me to try and sacrifice myself. Because, hey, he hasn't even, he hasn't even called my name in 30, 30 days. I've not been around him. I don't even know. Like, he, he could kill me for just coming into his presence without being invited. So her proximity gave her a responsibility to possibly make an impact. And that's what we're all presented with, too, in the places and spaces that God puts us in. We get to decide whether or not we are going to trust that he is going to be with us and work through us when we're presented in places where we see something going in a bad place, a bad direction, and whether or not we are going to step up and do something. And so Mordecai rightly calls out to, hey, uh, maybe, maybe God placed you here for this time. Like, how, how unlikely is it that a, the queen is a, a Jew anyway? And how likely is it for this small segment of people comparative to the whole empire, would have an advocate like you. And so she has a choice. What should she do? The logical choice would be ignore it, right? Just go about her day. She just worry about herself. You do you, girl, right? Is that how it is? Verse 15. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded him. Do you notice what she did before she took action? She prayed. She employed other people to to pray, to fast. She took it seriously. That she was going to need God to be with her if this was going to happen. But you know what she was willing to do? It wasn't just this like fickle kind of like, well, I don't even care if I die, whatever, don't matter. No, she understood what was uh, in front of her. It was a big deal if she would perish. She didn't want to perish. However, she was willing to sacrifice herself, not for her rights, but for the life of people around her. She was willing to make a sacrifice for the sake of someone else. She was willing to go to that place. She let prayer precede her actions. And here's the thing, church. Every place you're in, presents itself with an opportunity for impact. For impacting in the name of Jesus. For doing something where you call someone to a better place. To a better life. And Esther was seizing her moment right where God placed her. She was ready. 
And if it cost her her life, then she was at least not ignoring what was right in front of her. She could have ignored it. She had lots of luxuries. She had a lot to lose. And a lot of us, we feel like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't take that risk. I think God's calling me to it, but God, have you considered what this would mean for me? Yes, he has. Are you understanding that this might cost me my life? Yes. Do you understand this might cost me my job? Yeah. This might cost me this friendship? Yeah. This might cost me everything that I've been working toward? Yeah. Do you still want me to do that? Yeah. I do. See, Esther understood that God was leading the way and she needed to step up because maybe she was placed in that place for a time like this. So it goes on and Esther makes this declaration. Hey, I'm going to do this. We need to fast. No, no food, no drink, nothing. Three days and I'm going to go do it. And so if you want to read all the details of the rest of what happened, you can read starting in Esther chapter 5 and, and going on. But summarily, 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 that's a weird word to say uh, audibly. Um, but here's the thing. Esther talked to the king, so she approached him without being invited, which was against the law, but he welcomed her, so got past that hurdle. She's not dead before she even had a chance to speak. And she's like, hey, I, I really want to like talk to you about something. Can you throw a party? Like, Can we do something like to celebrate and all that? And she knows like the king likes to party. Dude threw a six-month-long party, right? And then a banquet afterward to celebrate the party. So uh, she celebrates some stuff, and, and he's like, hey, I want to I give you whatever you want. Like, I'll give you whatever you want. Just what is it that you want to talk about? And after this goes on a little bit, um, she eventually tells, uh, tells the king that Haman wants to kill her and her people, and Haman then is hanged um, because of that, because the king is not very happy with his right-hand man. So now his right-hand man is dealt with. And I know I'm going way fast through the story. Sorry, but we, we're getting through it. Um, because now Haman's out of the picture. Then the queen, Esther, comes back to the king. is like, hey, by the way, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, you signed this law, like genocide law, to be able to like kill all the Jews. I know that was probably just like a regular Tuesday for you. Um, but you probably don't even remember it. But can, you, can we like not do that? Would that be good? He's like, yeah, like, I don't want to do that, you know, like, and so they, he, he does another law and, and, and they, they are saved because of her faithfulness, because God placed her in a place where she had a responsibility to make possibly an impact. And she did. And I think as we look at the life of Esther, the questions, two questions we have to ask ourselves is where has God placed you right now? Where's God placed me right now? And what is, me, what is he calling me to in that place? Esther had a place. I mean, none of us are the queen of an empire. However, we all have a part to play. We, we have all been placed somewhere. You all have realms of uh, influence, realms of responsibility. All of us have people around us who we can impact in the name of Jesus. We all have some place. What is God calling you to in that place? Here's what I believe. I believe because if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have to understand the Spirit of God is living, breathing, influencing inside of you, working out. What He wants to do is to work out the image of Jesus to where it manifests in your life, to where you look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. 
where you are now becoming more of that person who will be uh, walking in faith rather than faithlessness. He wants you to walk in faithfulness. And that's what the Spirit of God wants to do in each and every one of us. So therefore, if He is working in you, which He should be, and if you've not noticed yourself growing, then maybe you've not been opened yourself up to the fact that God wants to work in you. But if He is working in you, then He wants to work through you for the people around you. Did you keep, you keep, you catch that? Like, it's not just a matter of understanding more of the Bible. That's good. That's a good thing we should do. We should read the Bible because many of us, we don't. But we should also understand that the, the words that God wants to speak into us and, and, and get that deep into our bones are there so that not only would we believe that Jesus is king, but also so that we would follow him and be willing to do what he did. See, you don't probably need to know more stuff, most of you. Most of you probably don't need to know more stuff. You probably just need to get up and do something with the things you know. See, Jesus, he, he, he calls us, if you, if you want to be a follower of his, he doesn't call you to be like, hey man, it's cool, like, let's just go hang out on the couch, let's just chill. Let's just, whatever, you know, like, let's be keyboard warriors in this world. Let's complain about everything that's going on. And, and let's make sure that everyone knows our opinions about every single thing that's going on. Let's make sure that we, uh, you know, are, are hateful to these people. And, and all the while, not doing anything to change the, the kind of status of the world that we are complaining about. We're just kind of sitting there complaining. What he said is, hey, I'm not calling you to sit around and just whine. What I'm calling you to do is, hey, you want to follow me? All right, cool. That's great. What you need to know, know is that you need to take up your cross, deny yourself every single day, and take up this instrument of death, and you can come with me then. Just come on. Take that electric chair. Take it with you because you're going to need it every single day where you say no to yourself and say yes to him. A lot of us, we don't make the impact that God's calling us to make because we're too worried about our own rights and we're not worried about righteousness. Yeah. Somebody is actually alive. <laughs> See, Esther didn't become complacent in her place. Too many of us have. We need to be rekindled with passion for the fact that we have been placed in a place where we can make an impact. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in you. And He's calling you to make an impact. So what does that look like? Maybe it looks like in your school, making an impact for Jesus. Who do you know? Who are your classmates that need to know who Jesus is? Pay attention to the people around you, friends. Pay attention. There are people hurting all around us. If we would open our eyes and see, then we could say, hey, what's going on? Can I pray for you? By the way, in the years I've been asking people, hey, can I pray for you? Random people. Some people I know, but random people too. Guess what has never happened when I ask them if I can pray for them? Guess what? I've never been punched in the face. Did you know that? Can I pray for you? Bam! No, it never happened. Maybe some of you might be the first. I don't know. You know, for me. But why are we so afraid to talk to someone about Jesus? You know what people respond with? Oh man, thank you. So Yes. Even if they don't believe in God. Yeah, please do. Because if, if there's a little bit of a chance that maybe he's out there, I would love for you to pray to him about me. 
What does it, what does it look like for us to make an impact in our schools and our classmates with, with, in their lives? Like, what, what would it look like to just simply be a follower of Jesus there? Where you deny yourself and you, you have those uncomfortable conversations. And here's the thing. With a lot of the teenagers, I know that that's happening. I hear about it. It's, it's the rest of us that we got to work out. So what would it look like for us older people to make an impact at work? When all the guys and all the gals, you know, the guys are doing all the things that they do, you know, spouting off at the mouth and being really rude to each other. The, the ladies are gossiping over here. I know stereotypical things. I know. Sue me, whatever. Um, what would it look like for us to stick out and actually be a present, a person who has a presence of mind where we, just our very presence of being there, makes it a better place? Where we will not cave to those uh, common denominator low, low points of people. Where we resist the temptation to become bitter because of how people are. You, ever, you, have been, you, you become bitter at all the last year? Because you see how people behave. No one, just me. All right, cool. What would it look like to make an impact there? Where we look at our workplace as the mission field that God's placed us in. It doesn't require us to stand up and preach a sermon. I wouldn't recommend that. But you know, we need Christians in every sphere of life. We need Christians in every industry. By the way, God's not calling everyone to become preachers or pastors. And if God hasn't called you to be a pastor, you should thank him uh, for like the next three days. And you should pray and fast and say, thank you, Lord, because you don't want this. I'm for real. You don't want this. But God wants people who follow him in every industry of life so that you can make an impact there. What would it look like to make an impact in your home for Jesus? Instead of just, you know, talking about random stuff at the table, what if you talked about Jesus? What if you read a passage and you guys talked about it and you prayed together? But how, how would God, God, how are you calling us to live that out today? It doesn't have to be crazy amount of prep work. You could just open up your Bible app and be like, what's the verse of the day? Let's talk about that. What would it look like to make an impact in your family, in your neighborhood? By the way, uh, the, the vast majority of kids who grow up in church and then leave the church, by the way, that's the vast majority of, of kids who grow up in the church, they leave the church. You know why? You want to know why? Sure, cool. It's because they grew up in homes where the parents simply saw their faith as a Sunday morning, one, one hour a week thing, and that's it. It was just the thing we did. Here's the thing, parents, grandparents. Uh, young people recognize how we act. They recognize how we live. And when they see us for the vast majority of their lives simply saying, oh, let's go to church. Yeah, let's, that's so exciting. And then you leave and you don't follow Jesus the rest of the week. They're like, oh, wait, that means, oh, man, Jesus made a big impact in your life. He must be really important. And so then they leave. And so what does it look like then for us to follow Jesus in every sphere of life, in our neighborhood, in our church? Guys, we're, we're getting closer with every day, getting closer to the end of this COVID pandemic. 
And for us to move forward as a church, to continue making an impact and thrive in this community, it's going to require us to reboot a lot of things, to relaunch a lot of things. And, and that means that I don't care what you've done, what you did a year ago, what that normal was like for you, but too many of us are busy making excuses for why God couldn't use us. And while, while he's already equipped us to do the things he's called us to do, we've just not been willing to do it. And so it's probably going to cause us or require us all to take a step of faith to serve in a place that we never have served in if we're going to move forward as a church. Because as we move forward, as, as this comes to a close, more of us are going to have to step up. No more sideline watching. Again, God did not say, hey, yeah, come follow me. Just hang out over there on the couch. I'll be home at, mid, you know, at, at five for dinner. He said, no, you're coming with me. Let's go and do some things. Come on this adventure to change people's lives. You can make an impact on social media even. Man, you're scrolling, just becoming more depressed with every thumb swipe, right? What if you were someone who was on there and you, you, you made someone's day because you encouraged them in some way? You can make an impact there. I promise you. That's why we're focused, church, on thriving homes and thriving spheres, because we want to make sure that we are not just doing this thing on one, one day a week, one hour a week, or even maybe two if you go to community group, you know, two and a half hours a week. We want to make sure that we're all following Jesus every single moment of the day. In our homes, in the spheres we're involved in, God wants us to thrive there, and he wants to use us in amazing ways. But there's a reason we don't make an impact sometimes. Because, I mean, all of us, you know, probably at some level are, like, recognizing, wow, I've, I've probably missed the boat on these moments, these defining moments at times. And I have too. It made me think, uh, uh, the boys, our, our, our twin boys, Sarah and my boys, uh, Xander and Zeke, they just turned three on Wednesday. And uh, that's, you know, went from terrible twos to now they're three-nagers. Because now they talk more, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's fun. Uh, it, is, it is fun. But we, uh, we went to the mall, took them to Glenbrook Mall, and uh, they've been doing the pacifier thing. So we wanted to take them to Build-A-Bear. And a friend of ours, they uh, did this for their kids' birthday or whatever, um, took the, the passy and then put it in the stuffed animal as they're stitching it up and just left it there. No more passy. Yeah, tragic, I know, right? Traumatizing. Um, but on our way to build a bear, that's just a side note on our way to build a bear, um, you know, in Glenbrook Mall, they have that little like uh, fountain thing where you throw some money in, waste your money, you know, like, oh, it's a wishing fountain, that kind of thing. I think a lot of times the reason why we don't make an impact is because we're always wishing for something different. It's because we're wishing for a different place. Like if God's placed you where you are and you're always wishing for a different place, then there will never be a place where you make an impact. If you're always, oh man, if I could just be there, if I, if, if I could just, oh, if we could just get there, to that place, to that job, to that role, to that thing, that relationship, if I could just get there, then you'll never make an impact where you actually are. So some of us, the reason we don't make an impact is because we're wishing for a different place. And yet God has placed us where he wants us, and maybe he's going to change that. And that, that's true for all of us, right? We've had places change in our lives. But right now, in this moment, here's where you are. How will you make an impact? Some of us were wishing for, instead of a different place, a different season of life. Right? If I could just be this. 
You know, for those of you with kids that are younger, you know, like if, if they could just be older. For those of you with older kids, if they could just be younger, you know, before they talked, it'd be great. For those of you with, with adult kids, oh, if we could just go back to those days when we're all together. Grandparents, if we could just go back to those. Man, if I, if I knew how good being a grandparent was, I would have been, been nicer to, the, to my kids, you know, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. So a lot of us are just wishing for different seasons of life. But again, same way with a place. If you're always looking for a different season, you'll never make an impact in the season you're in. Sometimes seasons are hard. Sometimes being in a place is hard. Because some of us, some of you, you are faced with some difficult decisions because you are in a place where the very fact that you are there, the very fact of your role, requires you to make difficult decisions. You do have the responsibility. You can't just be the the arm the armchair quarterback making decisions or making making comments you do have to actually do something with what your convictions are and you have to deal with the repercussions and sometimes it's hard see it's easy to to make opinions and have opinions when you're not the one who has to make the decisions somebody needs to tweet that but when it's you and there will be times it's not somebody else's home it's your home it's not somebody else's family, it's your family. Not somebody else's workplace, it's your workplace. It's not somebody else's friendship, it's your friendship. It's not somebody else's marriage, it's your marriage. Where we have to decide, are we going to make the impact God's calling us to make, or are we just going to play this one out? Sometimes we're wishing for a different role, where we don't have that responsibility anymore. Some of us were wishing for, you know, I wish someone else could do it, you imagine Esther might have thought that? I wish someone else would do this so I didn't have to. But maybe God's placed you where you are because you're the person. You're the person. No one else. What if we just lived with that kind of uh, uh, assumption? That if you see something that absolutely needs to be done in the name of Jesus, that you just assume God's the one who's calling you to do it because you're the one who noticed it. It's easy to say, like, oh, I, I think that's a good idea. Do it. Do it. See, Jesus, he, he didn't see himself as the one who would be like, oh, yeah, I'll come, I'll, I'll complain, and, and I'll hope somebody else kind of comes and, and does what needs to be done. No, he was the one who said, I'm going to give myself to all of you. I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to give you everything uh, I've got. I, I am going to perish, and the reason I'm going to perish is because I want you to live. The reason I'm going to perish is because I want you to have real life. Not just the stuff that you've been settling for. See, we, we know the Jesus who, because he loved us so much, he decided to come down from heaven to enter into your mess and my mess so that he could take that mess to the cross and pay for it and so he could clean you up. That's the one we follow. So if you got into this Christian thing because you thought it was a nice way of life, a nice little comfortable thing, I'm sorry, you were, you were sold a bad bill of goods. It was, you, were, you were deceived. Jesus calls us to get outside of our comfort zone. To make an impact for him. And so what would it look like then for us to actually have the urgency of understanding that just like Esther's decision, our decisions every day are also life and death. A lot of us, we live life like it's just, you know, we definitely got tomorrow, we definitely got next week, we take it all for granted. 
But what if your place right now, your realm of responsibility right now, the people around you, what if it was actually life and death? What if you had to live with that kind of urgency? You do. Because if that person in your neighborhood, that person at your workplace, that person in your school, if they died today, some of them may be in hell. It is life and death. This is no game. And Jesus wants to raise up an army of people who are willing to love, who are willing to sacrifice, who are willing to be merciful and graceful to this world, just like he was to us. So it starts with a decision. Some decisions are easy. Some decisions are difficult. Some decisions, they just make sense. And this is a decision I believe we all have to make. To just decide to live with godly courage in your current place and in your current season. To live with godly courage in your place and in your season of life. I believe that the Holy Spirit living inside you will lead you to what that looks like. But you have to ask him. You have to be open to that. So where has God placed you right now and what is he calling you to in that place? Where has he placed you? And what is he calling you to in that place? Church, would you stand? We're going to pray and we're going to sing to our God. Father, thank you so much for caring for us, loving us, and calling us to a life of adventure, a life where we get to play a part in what you're doing in this world. God, you've seen so many broken things become new again because of the power of your hand working through the faithfulness of a few. God, I pray that you would, you would ignite inside of us, the people in this church, a passion for seeing you move through us, a passion for seeing people come to know who you are. God, would you convict us for the, the areas of our lives where we become complacent in our place? Would you convict us so where we can, we can live with purpose, to where we can love people, we can care for them, like you care for us, like you love us. God, would you meet us when we're weary, when we don't know where to go? Would you encourage us that you're with us each and every step of the way? Father, sometimes a message like this can, can land a little bit harsh. And I pray that you would, you would work out all of that in us. You would remind us of your grace that you have for us. But also, God, that you would remind us of the purpose you've called us to live with. Thank you, Lord, for making it to where there is no, no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No more. Help us to walk in freedom and purpose every step ferociously after your grace. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.